What's up, Chuck? Good morning, man. What's happening? Hey, wow, what a morning. Oh, Snoopy and Woodstock. I like it. Enjoying a good cup of coffee on this beautiful day. How are you doing? Cool. I just knocked my microphone over onto my keyboard and it tried to change the microphone again. I'm well, that's not micro- cool. Yeah, it's a, uh, well, it seems like you have a microphone that wouldn't fall over. But anyway, how sound, how sound for you? Yours sounds good. Well, from where I sit, everything is all good. Uh, I've got my microphone all set up right here. I like it. So it's it's right where it should be. Uh, how's my sound quality on that side? Sounds good. It sounds good to me. You sound golden as well. All right. All right. I got Chris coming in hot. Maybe, maybe not. Oh, there he is. There it is. All right. Didn't Chris have Jones. coffee this morning, I guess. Yeah, I have not. There he Chris, is. What's happening, man? Good morning, everybody. How y'all doing today? Awesome. Chris, how are things? Excellent. Actually going very well. That's good. I see you got your Robert Trent Jones shirt on there. That's always a good way to start. Yeah, well, you know, I figured we were going to do a video call, and uh, this probably warranted more than my baseball cap and T-shirt today. <laughs> of course, we got baseball cap yeah. and T-shirt. I don't wear it. baseball caps, but I always have on some type of hat. Got a big ball spot back here we don't like to talk about. That's that's for the sun. <laughs> that is it's just good sun. for sun coverage. That's right. That's right. That's so. that's what we that's what we that's what I say anyway. <laughs> well, Chris, man, is so glad to catch up with you. All right, so all right, Chris, you ready, babe? Let's do it. All right, here we go. Hey, Dag Smith, what's shaking up there in Florence today, man? Not much, Tom. How's everything in beautiful Charleston, South Carolina? It is good. It is getting hot. It's already in the seventies, and I am I am sincerely tempted to go to the pool today if I can't find any business to do early. <laughs> well, you know, you say that it's like you say it's going to be a beautiful day today. I'm still enjoying a great cup of coffee. I know that, you know, at some point you got to go cold, turn to water or something like that, but I'm still doing the coffee and I'm looking out my side over here and I would say the pool water is still a little too cold, Ah, but the chemicals are just right. It's beautiful. It's shiny. It's clean. And when it gets about 90 degrees outside, I'll stick my toe in it. That is awesome. I can't wait to do that. So speaking of shiny and clean, (laughs) Guess who I ran into? Chris Jones. Chris, I've got Doug Smith on the line, also known as Doug the Food Guy. Hey, good morning, guys. How you doing? Hey, Chris, I haven't seen you in a long time, man. It's good seeing you. I appreciate it. Good seeing you, too. Yeah. So what's been going on? Oh, man, I'm, we've got a ton of things going on. Um, I've actually, uh, l- the last time you and I saw each other, we were uh, at that event that um you guys had put on and uh, i was working for blue mountain at the time since then uh, i've actually left blue mountain and i am starting my own food production facility wow starting your own business in crazy times like we're in but at least it's in something you're passionate about you know all about the uh, the food industry Uh, your background definitely leans towards that and i remember that we called it the HBG Summit. Um, boy, those were fun. In fact, we just had one this week. We've kind of gotten to the point now where we don't really invite a lot of outside vendors and things. It's mostly just us. But uh, we had 19 food service professionals talking about how to save people money and give them consistent supply chain. So, and, and you're part of that answer too, by the way, Chris. So tell us a little bit about your new company. Well, hopefully the next time you guys have a, another summit of that nature, um, Deep South Foods will be up and running and uh, be something we'd love to participate in. But uh, Deep South Foods is what we're calling it. Um, it is going to be a production facility that is geared to fully cooked, batter breaded uh, fried items, as well as some grilled items. Um, but we really want to focus on the food service arena. Um, you know, retail is, is great business. It's nice, but uh, food service is what we know is what we've cut our teeth on for the past 15, 20 years. So, um, yeah, we're super excited. The plant's in Dawson, Georgia. So I have relocated down here to southwest Georgia, and uh, we're in the process of renovating and cleaning that facility up now. Uh, the name of the company is Deep South Foods. Yes, sir. We actually just finished our logo this week. 
Um, I'll have to email it over to you guys and get your opinion. But um, I've got one partner. His name is Clay Kill. And uh, Clay is originally from Louisiana. I'm originally from North Carolina. The plant, like I said, is in southwest Georgia. I mean, we're closer to Tallahassee than we are Atlanta for sure. Um, so we thought the name Deep South uh, really just kind of encompassed who he and I were as people, where the plant's located. Um, our logo consists of a very large oak tree, and uh, we decided that our uh, mantra was going to be rooted in quality. So we've got a big, big oak tree, big canopy, deep roots were uh, rooted in quality, rooted in values, rooted in family. Um, yeah, we just thought it all kind of tied together well. Chris, I tell you, that's that's exciting. And you know, you put so much thought into that logo, the way you just described it, the big oak tree, I can see it in my mind, big, tall, lots of limbs and weight, but you're right. The, the roots go so deep in those things because they have to, to be able to feed, support and protect the tree's life. And I can just see that in, in your food processing too, because I know you're going to put quality first. You're going to do what needs to be done to make it the right way. And that's all just rooted into you and your partner, which you guys have always brought to the table. Yeah, well, thank you. So what are you going to specialize in? I know you said it's going to be uh, pre-cooked primarily. So tell us about your uh, portfolio. Yeah, so uh, it's, it's funny, you know, um, ever since I've been in this business, there has been, you really have, you know, two kinds of or three kinds of facilities out there raw processing, whether that be slaughter or uh, sizing, marinating, something of that nature, par fried, where it's partially cooked and then fully cooked. And uh, raw processing and par fried, I really haven't experienced any issues of finding line time, available line time or available partners out there to work with. But fully cooked has always been a segment of the industry that I felt was very difficult to find available line time, to find partners that uh, wanted to work with, you know, somebody that wasn't a direct end user. Um, so, and there's a lot of people that aren't direct end users out there, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, their, their needs need to be filled too. So, um, Fully cooked was the space inside the industry that I thought really needed some really needed some additional support, um, as well as the margins in fully cooked are a little bit better than what they are in raw. So sure. who doesn't like that? Every time you touch it, that margin goes up a little bit, right? Exactly. So um, we're gonna we're gonna start off with two lines. <clears throat> the first line will be for whole muscle for breast fillets, tenders, nuggets, bone and wings. And uh, we will have the ability to do a single pass, one pass of batter bread application, then into a fryer and then into a spiral oven with steam injection and then on into a, uh, a spiral freezer. Mm -hmm. um, we also will have the ability to skip the frying process if needed. And we have, we've purchased a char marker where we can put uh, grill marks on fillets or tenders or breast meat strips if needed and do some grilled applications. Oh, that'd be cool. The uh, second line is going to be set up for formed products. Mm -hmm. So, you know, running fillets or tenders or even nuggets, we'll have to bring in some material that's already sized, if not size it ourselves, mm -hmm. And that's going to create trim. So I don't want to have to pass that loss on to the customer. I'd like to be able to utilize that internally. So we're looking at a, um, a, a type of machine that will make some pressed items. We don't really want to go the, uh, the Revo process where you get the mashed up ground meat, kind of like a McNugget that has absolutely no body or texture. Right. We're going to go with uh, another process that's actually a uh, vortex item made by ProSure, and uh, it will allow for larger pieces of meat. So when we make these formed products and you cut into it, you'll actually still see some fibers, some oh, wow. meat fibers. So it'll it'll have a little bit of uh, texture and bite to it. Have a little bit, a little bit of bite as opposed to a sponge. 
you know, Chris, something you probably don't know, because I don't think we've ever talked about it, but uh, I was part owner in a meat production facility uh, here in the PD area of South Carolina. And we actually did harvest. We harvest pigs and a, a few cows along the way, but we also did further processing in the poultry world. And everything you just described, you know, we actually shut down the product or the uh, harvesting facility because it was just easier, less expensive to have someone else do it that did it on a larger scale. And there was plenty of line time to, you know, get the uh, process or the um, harvesting done. But what we always ran into a problem with is the production side. Because if you were trying to get a four ounce chicken breast or if you were trying to get a uh, four ounce sausage link, there was always a shortage of people willing to do the work. And, you know, we couldn't do any cooking in our facility, but uh, what you're doing is definitely going to uh, bring value to that end user because they're all having those same problems today. So it doesn't matter if you're a one unit restaurant or a 50 unit group of restaurants, your number one issue right now is employees, getting them hired, training them, and then maintaining them. And the more you can bring them high quality value that doesn't need to be processed or further processed in the back of the house, that just makes their life easier. 100%, you know, and it's a, it's a terrible state that we're in with uh, the workforce being the way it is. But um, as an industry, we've got to adapt and overcome, right? Absolutely. Um, so it's part of it. And no, I didn't realize you were, you were in the harvesting business at one point. I can only imagine that that was probably a, uh, a very different portion of your life considering what I know you to do today. Oh, yes. Back in, yeah, I, I got up way too early, got home way too late, and had way too much stress in my life uh, in that period of time. But uh, it was me and a, a couple partners, and, you know, we, we, we put, gave it our best, did what we could do. We bought a facility that was built right after World War II. And, you know, you do all the due diligence, you get all the inspectors and you get all the uh, people to go in and give you advice as to what they think. And they're like, oh man, you're good. You're golden. Uh, you'll buy this facility. You make a couple little changes and you're going to be able to grow it. And of course, the first time USDA comes in for your inspection, the guy goes, you know, well, you really need to go and do this, this, and they give you a checklist of 20 items. And, you know, you see a $15,000, $20,000 check go out the door. And then 30 days later, they come back and say, man, you did a great job. You did so good. Here's another list of another 10 items you got to do. And there's another 15 or $20,000 out the door. And, you know, it's just, it was all the time. It didn't, and that's why we got out of the harvesting facility. It's just because you could not spend enough money to keep uh, everything up and running and to, to the way you would want to do it. So we shut that part of the business down, farm that out to someone else that was, you know, doing a lot more than we were and business became a lot more profitable and it was all good. And like I say, we ran into some employee issues. And then that was, I think it was 2008 when gas got stupid expensive, the economy made a turn down and uh, my partner and I looked at each other on, on, I can remember it was on a Wednesday. We looked at each other and said, I'm tired of putting the paychecks in the bottom drawer. We need to get jobs. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how I got to where I am today. We decided to go back and get jobs. Now, obviously, both of us still are in the industry, and we still do what we love to do. But uh, we're we're definitely doing it from a different part of the segment of the business. So that's so funny that you uh, just told that story about the USDA coming in and giving you a list of 15, 20 things that need to be done, um, almost verbatim. That is probably the third or fourth time I've heard that story from uh, just different people that I've talked that have opened up facilities, whether it be fully cooked or raw or what have you. And um, the, they typically follow that statement up with, don't let it stress you out. The USDA is always going to have a list of things that you need to do and improve. And um, maybe you can't get it all done, but they just, they're just looking to see that you're actively working towards what they see will be perfection. So um, it, it, that was really good to hear from you. Well, I, I would absolutely echo that as well. And uh, I think the gentleman is uh, no longer uh, with us. I know he retired, but uh, his name was Dr. LaFontaine. And he 
drove a diesel Volkswagen. And I'm telling you, you could hear that thing coming 10 minutes before he got there. And the sweat would just start popping up on your forehead because you knew here it comes. <laughs> but, but that, you know, at the end of the day, they were wanting us to do better. We wanted to do better. We were trying to get to that better point. And yes, everything they pointed out, you know, you can only use so much duct tape and bailing wire on, on something. At some point, you got to replace it or you have to do something else to make it better. So they did have that was the reason they were bringing it to our attention. And they always worked with us. They always said, this is what you have to do. This is what you need to do. And this is what we'd like for you to do. It's just every time they come, that list just kept, you know, moving up. So <laughs> yeah. Well, they got to prove their uh, their worth, right? They've got to do something to make you feel like you're paying them for more than just standing around and checking the boxes. Well, you know, it's funny. In my current career at, as a food service consultant, supply chain manager, uh, a lot of what I did and a lot of working with the USDA and the state of South Carolina uh, inspection actually prepared me for what I'm doing today because we're getting ready to jump on a plane and go to a facility that's a fully cooked facility similar to what you are. We're doing a, you are, uh, uh, an inspection with the third party inspectors and they're going to walk us through you know, their HACCP plans and the receiving and the production and the packaging and the storage and so we're going to spend about three days seeing product come from the back door all the way through into a box ready to be delivered to the distributor of choice. And, you know, like I say, all that I explained to you has prepared me to sit there and have that conversation with those third-party auditors, the manufacturer, and our client that's going with us that, you know, because if it hadn't have been for me going through that for several years, I would have no clue of how to go through a HACCP plan and read it because as you know, it's very detailed and there's a lot of information there and you just got to know what to look for and uh, how to ask the right questions. Yep, for sure. For sure. And that's, you know, that's, uh, that leads me to something else. You know, you've got to, when you're doing something like this, you've got to hire and look for people that are smarter than you, right? Um, you need to find those individuals inside your QA, inside of your uh, plant management and shift leaders and things of that nature that are the best in their field. You know, I don't necessarily have to know how to write the best HACCP plan. I just have to know to recognize the person that does have that skill set and be able to put them in place and empower them to do those kind of things. So um, that's something that uh, Clay and I talk about real, you know, very frequently um, as we're starting to discuss people and positions that we need to bring on as this thing starts to take shape. And uh, we always come back to, we, yeah, we want to be involved when we hire, you know, let's say a, a head of accounting, a CFO. We want to be involved with them as they go and start to hire their team. But at the end of the day, that's their responsibility. You know, they need to hire the individuals that they feel can take on those responsibilities and do it well. Um, because the, the heads of those departments are the ones that are going to answer to Clay and I, and those are going to be the ones that we're going to have the top end discussions with, but you've got to make sure you've got the right person in that position that has that experience to be able to help everybody else inside your organization grow and be successful. Chris, you just said something that it instantly struck. Uh, I just wanted to repeat it. Hire people that are smarter than you. When I, I don't know at what point, but I had a mentor along the way when I worked for one of the major distributors and he had just gotten promoted to a president's level. And he was a good friend of mine. And the first thing he did was he went and hired the very best sales manager. That was quite honestly, in my opinion, probably light years better than he was when he was a sales manager. And someone asked him, said, Hey, you just hired your replacement. Does that not bother you and scare you that this guy's going to do a better job than you? And his answer was, if he does a better job than me, then I've done my job well, because I'm looking for people who can fill my weaknesses with their strengths. And I went, wow, that's speaking volumes. And you just said the exact same thing, maybe worded it a little different, but we all have our strengths and our weaknesses. And you got to find people that are better at it than you are. That's what's going to lead you down that road of success. 100%. Yeah. 
You know, you also believe that you need people that challenge you. You need people that challenge your way of thinking. You know, you can't be in a room and come up with an idea and, you know, the remaining nine people at this 10, 10 person table all say, yeah, we should do it. That sounds great. You need some opposition. You need people to make you get outside of your lane of thinking and uh, think about things from a different view. Um, so, you know, those are also people that we're looking for, people that are out-of-the-box thinkers. I did not want to interrupt that because you guys were rocking. I was listening to to you. That was awesome. Chris, What's what started you on the path to having your own manufacturing facility and company? Do you know, was there, was there a trigger? Was there something that you've always thought about doing? What was what was the origin story of this dream that you and Clay are on now? So I, I spent the past 15 years working for a company that uh, honestly gave me the start in, in this side of the business. Um, I started off when I was 14 years old. My dad said, you like girls? You want to go on a date? Get a job. You're not driving my car, right? So... Um, so I started working in restaurants at the age of 14. I did that all the way up to the age of 25. Uh, I was an executive chef, uh, regional manager, everything from Chick-fil-A all the way to Cheesecake Factory. So I've, I've done all kinds of uh, restaurant gigs. And uh, at, at the age of 25, I was tired of working till 1 a.m. on Saturday night, right? I, I thought to myself, I need to find a way to stay in the food business. That's what I really love. That's my passion. How, how can I sell food to restaurants? So I applied to every U.S. food, every Cisco, Cheney Brothers you can think of, and I couldn't get an interview. And uh, I ended up taking a job with Red Robin as a general manager that moved me to Georgia, to Cumming, Georgia, just north of Atlanta. And at that point, that's where I met the owner of Blue Mountain. Blue Mountain is a product procurement and development company. They've been in business for at this point, probably 25, 26 years. I joined them when they were probably around nine or 10 years old. And they actually gave me the opportunity to sell food, to stay in the food business and, and uh, learn this side of it. Blue Mountain was a great organization. You know, they did a lot of really cool things, a lot of really out of the box things. But they're comfortable in being that development type company. And where I saw their limitations were their, their sweet spot of customer was between 25 units and maybe 100, 150 units. Once you get outside of 150 units as a restaurant chain, you typically have a, a supply chain team large enough to go out and source the majority of your products, you know? I mean, you guys you guys know restaurants, right? 20% of your overall menu mix makes up 80% of your business. And that's what supply chain teams focus on. They focus on that top 20% of items that they buy and everything else is just filled in by a distributor. We'll just buy Cisco branded, whatever it is, and we'll just deal with it. I wanted to go to the next level. I wanted to do business with customers that were larger than that, customers that uh, had more needs. And um, you couldn't do that being essentially a middleman, right? Even though we were writing formulations, we were still taking that formulation to a producer, having them produce it, adding monies on top of it, and then taking it to the end user. And once you get to a, uh, a chain that has three, 400, 500 locations, they, they're savvy enough to know that there's an extra 10 cents built into that number that doesn't necessarily need to be in there. And they right. just go direct to those suppliers. So um, it wasn't something that uh, that organization was interested in. They were not interested in brick and mortar. Uh, I thought it was the next logical progression and my career would be to go to some kind of brick and mortar. And that's when I started to really go and evaluate the products that I had been successful selling, the products that were the easiest for me to get done, and where I always found the opposition in getting products made. And 
fully cooked was 100% that, that arena. For what it's worth, fully cooked is our Achilles heel as well. You, you find that item you're looking for and finding a facility, number one, that you trust to produce all of a sudden cuts that field down and then finding that facility you trust that has line time to put your product on it. Now you've cut that field down and now they're in the wrong side of the country and logistically makes it where it's not feasible. So, you know, uh, you're going into a, a pretty, pretty hot area right there doing fully cooked in the East coast. So you should be doing very well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and you said it right in the East coast. I mean, really, when you start thinking about some, the real big fully cooked facilities, a lot of them are in the Midwest or uh, as far as Utah. Exactly. So, or Chicago or somewhere up in that area. And yeah. just and getting on a supply chain to, to get it to Charleston, South Carolina, makes it almost impossible unless you're that 100-unit chain. Yeah. And it's also kind of funny, right? I mean – where is the majority of the meat? Where's the majority of the harvesting facilities at? Here in the Southeast, you know? I mean, when you think about it, Georgia, Gainesville, Georgia is the chicken capital of the world. Absolutely. You know, <clears throat> Fort Smith, Arkansas, right? Still, chickens everywhere. Uh, the, I think number two in the nation for uh, cattle is Florida. So when you start thinking about the logistics of getting raw material to these facilities for cooking, why not put it in the backyard? Why not do it right here in Georgia? I would do it in deep South if it were me. Hey, I, we're going to be happy to have you there, Doug. <laughs> Little play on words there, my friend. <laughs> deep yeah. South. Chris, remember at, at that meeting, the summit, the HBG summit a few years ago, one of Doug's colleagues gave a presentation about the the different levels of, of business that there are. You know, most believe that, you know, there's chicken is born, somehow gets into a box and ends up at the grocery store. And all you have to do is take it home and heat it up. There are so many things in between that. Have you, uh, in your experience, have you found a pinch point or a friction area that you think you're going to be fulfilling with a fully cooked plant? Yeah, I, th I think the the need for some smaller customers, some smaller mm -hmm. end users, you know, a lot of the fully cooked facilities that are out there like Tyson and Cook and um, even Sanderson and Pilgrims, they're focused on the McDonald's, the Wendy's, the Burger Kings, uh, Arby's, those huge restaurants that have over a thousand locations, 2,000, 3,000 locations, right? That's perfectly fine. Their lines are set up to run 60,000 pounds in a shift. Your menu is your uh, is your identity, right? That's what people come back for. This They don't like the sign. They don't like the look of your logo. They come to your restaurant because of your food. And if you're a smaller chain, trying to grow, trying to get your your name, your menu, your brand out there. You need a supplier that's going to work with you on that. And that's what we're hoping to be. We, you know, we're always interested in entertaining any business that comes towards us. But at the end of the day, I'm not interested in running for McDonald's or Burger King. I want to run for the eggs up grill of the world. You know, some chains that really have great leadership that have uh, that have a good story, that are rooted in their communities, that just want to expand their stretch, that want to be able to take their recipes and cut down on that labor in the back of the house, that want to take out some of those food safety issues that you see. You know, we talked about, uh, we talked about the labor force that's out there right now. It's unskilled labor, for a lack of a better term. And a lot of times there's not as much heart and uh, caring in what they're doing. So mistakes are made and you can't make mistakes with food. So the opportunity to have something that's fully cooked, that's tested, that's uh, gone through the ringer, if it will, right? Oversight, I think means a lot to some of those smaller chains to have that security of knowing that 
They're buying a quality product that's made to their specifications with their flavor profile, with their identity tied into it. And it's also safe. You know, they know that it's already fully cooked. If the if the cook in the back hits the wrong timer and it comes out of the fryer too early, well, as long as we hit 145 degrees, technically we're okay. So um, bringing that peace of mind to, to the smaller guy and helping them grow, that's who we're looking to service. And that's the void I hope we fill. Doug and I've had conversations together uh, and with people like you about the varying stages of restaurant development. We oftentimes, in, in a lighthearted way, talk about when restaurants are at that three-unit stage, that's generally because they've run out of friends that they can trust with the money. Then you move into that five to 10, 11, 12, kind of the kick and chicken level that are really solid, that five to seven. And then you move into that 12 to 25 before there's actually, uh, right when they're needing a director of operations, right when they're starting to need supply chain efforts do you feel like based on your experience that 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 25 to 150 is, is that going to be your your niche or are you thinking just of the groups that are going to be in that 25 that are going to be the 25,000 to 100,000 pounds a year size groups yeah I think we'll be able to do something for them I think at, at that point we'll have to do a lot of listening and understanding of what they want their product to be and how they're trying to grow their business. And uh, we'll have to work with their, also their distribution programs, right? If we run product for them, you know, we're, we're looking to be able to run anywhere between 25 and 40,000 pounds in a shift, depending on what kind of line and what size item that we're producing. So if they're gonna utilize 100,000 pounds in a year, that could be a pinch, potentially two or three shifts worth of a run, right? So if we're going to do that, we're going to have three months supply for them or a four month supply, then we have to talk about how we're going to house that. Where are we going to put it? How can we work with you to do that? And uh, if the Cisco's or the U.S. Foods don't have an answer, um, I'll let you guys in on a secret stage two of uh, deep south development is we have enough property. We've got 25 acres on this uh, piece of property that we've purchased is to put in a freezer. So we want to be able to house our own goods and not have to rely on outside cold storage because as quick as they put those things up, they fill up and then they want, you know, your firstborn child in order to house a pallet or two. So if we can house it ourselves, that'd be fantastic. And if it, that's something we can do with our customers and say, hey, we know your, your usage has been, um, has, has trended well, it's shown to grow every year, year after year, then yeah, if it's housing, you know, 20,000 pounds, 40,000 pounds to be depleted over the course of three to four months, I think that's something we'd like to do. Cold storage, you said it. It's There's not a lot of room out there. I mean, several of the manufacturers we work with, uh, some very, very, very large manufacturers, and not only is there limited space in the cold storage, but there's also some uh, service issues, planning on just-in-time delivery. That's how all your distributors are working on. So they plan on running out of inventory on Wednesday and receiving their PO on Tuesday, and then you get a 24-hour pickup at the cold storage, and now products a week later because the trucking system didn't make it happen. When you own your own cold storage, you're going to be able to take out some of those concerns and issues because let's let's face it, people we're all talking about, they're not the three and four hundreds like you said, they're the 20 to 100 unit chains. And unless you're, it's a very, very high item, their number one item on the menu, they're probably going to have the distributor stocking six or eight weeks worth of inventory on their floor. And they're not going to have any more than that. They don't want it. So you're going to have to house it. And of course, they're going to send you the PO just in time. So, <laughs> so, you know, there's, so it just blows my mind how that works, but it's always that way. And it doesn't seem to matter how much you get ahead of it. When that PO is cut, it's just in time. And if the truck is two hours late from its appointment, you got people out of stock. Just, it's just the way it works. It's crazy. I, I just don't understand how these cold storages expect 
for everybody else to op around, operate around their schedule, right? I mean, you said it just in time inventory, but there's, there's an un, unfathomable amount of variables that go into that, right? I mean, that's assuming that everybody shows up to my facility and we run the product on time and then we get it on the truck and the truck doesn't have some kind of malfunction mm -hmm. between here and its final destination. And uh, it's, it's nuts. And then you, you spend some time talking to some of these CDL drivers. I mean, they've done everything short of just drop their trailer and leave a cold storage place because they literally have sat there for 48 hours waiting to either get loaded or get unloaded. And I mean, these guys are paid by the minute, paid by the mile. And these cold storage facilities literally just, you know, exploit them. It's terrible. It's ter cold storage is probably one of my least favorite things to deal with, but it is a necessary evil inside this uh, industry. Hopefully when you build yours, it'll be large enough. You can do some outside storage in there as well make it a profit center for you. Yeah. Um, the profit center in itself is just not having to utilize, you know, uh, uh, outside cold storage, but, um, you know, I want, I want to make sure that it's set up to house what we need. Uh, I also want to have the ability to buy, you know, I mean, heck you guys follow the chicken market, chicken wings right now. I mean, I had a guy offer me chicken wings yesterday for 48 cents a pound. 48 cents. You got to have a place to put them. <laughs> I know. If yeah. I had the cold storage room, I'd buy them and sit on them until, uh, until Super Bowl and exactly. turn around and sell them for $2.40 a pound and make a whole bunch of money. But, and be uh, a hero for somebody because somebody would buy that and think you just saved their life. No, no space to store them. I mean, heck, that's why he was offering them to me for 48 cents because he didn't have anywhere to put a meeting. You know, I was talking <coughs> to a beef guy just this week. And uh, to your point, he had some of those same stories. He said, guys, the beef is coming to the back door of the facility. And at some point, the facility gets full of product. That back door still opens and that truck still comes and it's just going to come every week. So it's got to go somewhere. And if you don't sell it, you better find a home for it because next week there's another whole load coming in the back door. Yeah. It does not turn off. There no. is no off switch. There sure isn't. Uh, Chris, one of the neat things about talking to someone like you is the, the barriers between knowing what's going on with the manufacturer are not there. We're actually talking to the owner of the manufacturing facility. So many times when we talk to operators, there are layers of people. There's layers of communication that really make it so we don't really know what your story is. And I, I'm listening to your story thinking that has got to be just additional layers of things you have to think about every day, just stacks and stacks. So I really feel like it is a value to you to, to tell that story. So I really feel like this is a great way for you to tell that story because when we take it to the people that are listening to this, and they say, gosh, I really wish I could know the people that are actually owning the facility rather than having just the name on the outside. So I appreciate the candor that you've already given uh, with your answers. I've been listening to the whole time, uh, and I'm very excited that we're able to maybe help you tell that story. And maybe uh, as we go along, maybe help, you know, if you don't mind, to keep up with you, to tell the different levels of the story. And uh, maybe uh, Doug and I, once you get a little further along, Doug and I can maybe come down to a live you know, a discussion with you, you know, to try to bring more value to you and to bring more attention. Just so Chris, where, if, if people are wanting to follow your progress or wanting to follow how Deep South Foods is coming along, uh, are you on social yet? Do you have any sort of a, a website yet that they can look at? So I, I need to be better at it. I need to start doing something of that nature. Uh, well, we're starting now. This is a start. <laughs> I, I mean, personally, I don't have any social media. I, I don't have a Facebook or a Twitter or anything of that nature. So um, eventually I'm going to have to get there. I think uh, I think that would be cool. I, I have reserved the domain uh, for Deep South Foods. <clears throat> but right now I just have a place filler on there that says 
website under construction. Uh, but I do think that um, once we get to that point and I feel like the facility is able to be photographed, if I was able, if I was to take pictures of the facility now and put it online, I don't think anybody would ever buy anything we ever made there. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I don't it's in, in progress. Anybody. It's in progress. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this facility hasn't been hasn't been running since 2018. So, oh wow! Okay. Yeah, so there's there's a lot of dust that has to be taken care of, and you know, it's also in a uh, industrial park where it's not well supervised. So there was vandalism um, that took place that we're having to clean up and take care of. So once I get it to uh, something that's photographable, then I think what we'll do is we'll start putting things online and showing the timeline of, hey, this is where we started. This is where we're at. This is what we're looking to go at. But uh, hopefully soon here in the next couple of months, I will come into the age of 2023 and get some kind of social media set up for that. Well, we are definitely not social media experts, but I understand if you hire one that's smarter than you, you can do a really good job. Sorry, just had to throw that out there. But uh, don't underestimate the power of the social media. I actually follow a couple uh, different people that are doing kind of what you're doing in other parts of the country. And they started with the, Look how terrible, I mean, the guy's parking lot was a dumping ground uh, for years. There was tires and swing sets and just garbage all in his, uh, what was going to be eventually his parking lot. And the building had holes in the roof. And, you know, he's out there doing social media, telling the story of this is where we are, but my vision is to be here. So like almost, I won't say it every day, but almost every day he was giving an update of wow, we finally got the parking lot cleared. You can see where the, the lines are going to be for the cars. And, you know, so it kind of tells a story of where you're going. I'm not saying you have to do that, but I would encourage you to get on social media sooner than later. We had a gentleman uh, do the same thing to Tom and I just recently. And I, I tell you what, sometimes you just got to take that jump and do something different. Get your name out there, get people starting to follow you, get people starting to look at what you're doing, because at some point you're going to open the door. And it will be great to already have the story out there. And they know that deep south, they developed something special. Doug, that is so amazing. Chris, one of the guys that I follow, I was I looked at my phone to see if I could find his name, but I'll find it to send it to you. He bought a an old car plant and he is trying to he's refurbishing the plant. It is a is that the one you're listening to? That's the guy I'm talking about. He it is crazy. Chris, (laughs) I watched that dang show every it's a show, it's like three minutes. Uh, I watch him, I have him noted. So when he posts something, it comes to me and he goes through and he's he's showing all this crap everywhere and there's poles and old, I mean, it's just like the way you described it. And the, it doesn't have to be time. And we're not trying to get you to do that, but we are saying that people like us that are interested in things like that, especially in the food business and the production business and the procurement supply chain world, it is really interesting. And I think that uh, hopefully that, that, you know, maybe this will, as we go along, um, you know, we'd be happy to keep up with you and be your kind of, you know, point for updates, you know, until you get to that point that you can add some things. Cause you got Chris, you got like a 50,000 thing you guys are talking about with the USDA and the FDA and all that other stuff to worry about. What platform are you viewing this guy's progress on? On TikTok. Yeah. He's on TikTok, but he's also on Instagram and and Facebook. But I I think he has a YouTube channel as well. And they those are they cross purpose. So the stuff that he takes, he cross purposes it across all four of those. And I'm sitting there scrolling looking for it too. So that's yeah, I am I can I can see the guy's face. I just can't quite pick it out yet, but I'll find it. We'll go get it to you. Uh, you know, originally starting is just documenting the journey, Chris documenting the journey of all the craziness that that you're going through and and that clay and and you together are going through it it is a uh, for people that are in my humble opinion people like us that are interested in things like that that is a story that we would listen to i would watch it every single day remember we we actually had someone on that that was talking that actually videoed his journey from owning a barbecue restaurant on up until he he sold out until he, he got out of the business and I watched it for it started in 2018. So we're not trying to get you to do that. I just think that it's uh it would have to make it your own. Don't don't you know just yeah. make it your story. What you know, what's important to you. And it may not be showing your production facility, 
but uh, it may be talking about how you go about creating the best chicken tender that you've ever had. You know, it could be any, just something to tell your story. That's interesting. Yeah. I would be interested in doing something like that. It's actually funny. I'm, I'm looking for ways not to be on TikTok uh just because i feel like that thing can suck you in and all of a sudden now you've lost 30 minutes of your day flicking through it it's so addicting it but can yeah, no that would be something i'd be very yeah. interested in. it can uh chris the tiktok is based on what they call the interest graph so one of the reasons that you can get stuck on tiktok is because they are only showing you things that you were interested in they are it is only being presented on what they call the fyp the for you page they are only showing you things that you're interested in. So uh, on other uh, on other types of social media, I, I can scroll and look. It's like, I don't like that. I don't like that. And I'm like, crap, I'm bored. I'm going to go do, do something else. But because of the interest graph, it allows people that are targeting even just organically, that are targeting a, a type of person, which would be limited for you, quite candidly. I mean, limited by measure, not by number. Uh, that yeah. uh, there are a limited number of people out there that are big enough to, uh, and I say limited, maybe a finite number of of restaurants that are out there that could use your services. And they, I guarantee you, they are always looking for something that is interesting to them, which is how can I solve a 89 degree chicken breast being served to somebody? And I don't mean to keep going about chicken breast, but whatever fully cooked product it is or further cooked product or blanched or the meat is cooked, but it's set on the breading and you have to finish it in, you know, in the oven or in the fryer. Yeah, no, for sure. And um, yeah, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. So maybe that's, that's something you've actually got me thinking here. How do I go about that? How do I help get this story out? Because I think that would be a great way to go about it. You know, Chris, uh, had a guy tell me just recently that as an owner of a business, he likes for people to challenge him, to poke at him. That could have been what, maybe 20 minutes ago with you, Chris. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so we're poking at you a little bit and, 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 uh, challenge you in a little bit. And, uh, like I say, it doesn't have to be what you spend 40 hours a week doing, but getting your story out now and getting people interested and in getting them hooked on what are you doing next? it could go a long way for you. No, I like the idea. Thank you. Well, we'll keep you up to date on what, on what we're doing and we'll check in with you. Obviously, we already talk already. And as we develop those, maybe there's a way that we can work. And I say maybe because we'll there is, yeah, yeah, there, we'll there is a way. way that we can do yeah. some work. And, and uh, Doug has gotten, Doug took a challenge uh, and I'm complimenting him, right? And you can see me and he can hear me, but he took a challenge uh, from, from one of our, it was a guest, but he's now become a friend of ours and has really, really moving his business forward, just telling the story of, of the six or seven projects that he's working on every, every single day. And it has been, I ha actually, I have Doug on my for you page so that when he, when his, his um, notifications come out, I watch them, even though I know him, we talk almost every single day. I'm mean, every two days. Every he's two already days. heard the story. He knows what's going on. Yeah. And I'll put out a, a normally it's a 60 second TikTok. Mm -hmm. He's not always the first but he's always in the top five of liking it or, or doing something like that. So that's yeah. just kind of cool. Because it's keeping up. I, I, I follow you, Doug. Oh, there you go. Sorry. Yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think the last one I saw you were doing a review of uh, some food that you had or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was just probably a day or so ago. I saw one from Absolutely. you. Absolutely. That's something like I said, that's my fun thing. Of course, you know, my day Monday through Friday, I'm a food service consultant, supply chain manager. And as boring as that sounds and looking at a computer screen, getting out, going into a restaurant, talking to a restaurant owner, uh, trying his new whatever item he just developed and, you know, taking products and uh, educating people that, you know, when they come by, I have a little place at the city center farmer's market and the person comes by and says, I'm on a steak but I don't want it with all this fat in it. Then wait a minute, tell me, tell me about what you're wanting. I want it to taste good. I want it to be flavorful. And I said, okay, there's different grades of beef. And I, I try to educate them. And at the end of the conversation, like with these TikToks, I try to make them educational. You know, I want them to know what, what they really want and find what they're really looking for and understand why it's better or it's worse. And 
uh, it's all part of the educational process. And that's how I see what my, my hobby is educating people on how to have the very best food they can put on the table for their family. And I, I may be a little personal about it, but I like to eat as clean as I can. I don't like to have to go to a dictionary to understand what the ingredients deck stands, stands for. You know, uh, if it yeah. says beef, I'm good. But if it has 15 ingredient statement items on there, one of them happens to be beef, I'm probably going to scratch my head a little bit and say, maybe that's not one, not one for me. <laughs> yeah, especially if it's spelled B-E-O-U-F. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, that would love. That wasn't a jab or anything. Yeah. It was just, just so, meant to be funny. So. And, and on that bombshell, I, I think I need to run, go catch an airplane. But it's been so fun catching up with you, Chris. I'm excited about all that you've got going on. Once you're up and running or at some point along the way, I'd love to come take a tour. No, for sure. We'd love to have you guys out. I think, um, you know, let's let's do this again here in the next couple months or so. And uh, we can share some updates at that point. Hopefully I've got some photos I can share with you and uh, having you guys come down and do a tour uh, when we can have guests, I think would be something I would, I would love to extend to you. Cool. Looking forward to it. Thank you, Chris. Congratulations to you. Congratulations to your partner, Clay. I know that Doug and I already know you, but we, we are proud for you and we will, we are happy to help any way we can with your business. So on that, Chris, cheers from Charleston. Cheers from Florence. Cheers from Albany. Awesome. Thank, Thank you so you much, gentlemen. I truly appreciate your time and the opportunity to do this. Uh, it was great catching up. So you guys have a great weekend. See you, man. Thanks, guys. See ya. Awesome. Chris, thanks, man. Dude, I, I cannot wait to edit that. It is it is going to be so fun to listen to to that again because you really did so well the way you communicated your your, your vision and dream. And Doug, awesome questions. I'm just, I'm grateful that you guys were able to talk. Chris and I have the same language. You know, we just <laughs> Yeah, you do. Yeah. You do. No. That's that is 